A brototype. A brototype. Oh, don't call it that. No, Sorry. Do nope. Call don't call it that. Nope. <laughs> a fratotype. Um, <laughs> Welcome to episode 261 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. 261, Brian. 261 your uh this is your fifth fifth yeah fifth episode if you count the the first like teaser yeah how are you feeling so far do you feel like uh back in the normal podcast routine yeah kind of um i'm still very i don't know i'm, st- I'm still worried that i'm gonna screw everything up <laughs> i'm, I'm I, a, I live with a constant fear that Everything I touch turns to shit. So uh-huh. I'm like reverse Midas, I guess. <laughs> the anti Midas. I have the worst hands ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't Do touch not anything. touch me. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess everything that Midas touched kind of turned to shit too. Even though you can't eat food, all that stuff. It's it's a good parable. Poor guy. Anyways, yeah, it's going well. <laughs> How do you think it's going? It's going great. We've got uh, another fun episode coming up, but. Before we get into it, let's thank Envision Studio for making this episode possible. Envision Studio is the world's most advanced screen design tool. It brings together design, prototyping, animation, and collaboration in one place. Look, all the old design tools were built for people who worked on graphic design, static and print design, basically building pages or single screens at a time. And that's just not the way product designers work anymore. So Envision Studio... How do they work now, Brian? <laughs> uh, well, that's what Envision Studio is solving, bringing together all of the pieces that it takes to make a great digital product. That's design, prototyping, animation, and collaboration all in one place. All of it's linked to Envision's cloud, all of its other products to make it really easy to take all of your ideas and turn them into great products with one connected workflow. Envision Studio has been building their product by working closely with some of the world's best product design teams, building products that probably most people use. Uh, The folks at Zendesk, Uber, Salesforce, Shopify, and more are already using Envision Studio's rapid prototyping. I've heard of a couple of those. Oh, I'm so glad you've heard of Uber (laughs) and Shopify. Mm -hmm. Designers at those companies are already using Envision Studio's prototyping, animation, and collaborative features to build the apps that we're using every day. Super cool. Uh, They've also created a new visual language for designers to more easily collaborate with the rest of the team. Since products aren't built only by designers, you actually need to collaborate with engineers, PMs, and other stakeholders on your team. So Envision Studio factors that in and has integrated that entirely into the workflow. You should change the way that we work. You're going to like the way you work. I guarantee (laughs) guarantee it. it. Upgrade the way you and your team are working together and building products by going to envisionapp.com slash studio. You can get on their early access. It's free. Forever. It will be free forever. Forever. It will always, always be free forever, ever uh, at envisionapp.com slash studio. Give it a try. Start improving the way that you work with your team at envisionapp.com slash studio. Thanks, Thanks Envision Studio. Studio. Oh, in unison. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Uh, was, was I supposed to? Oh, okay. Wait, is there a count up before the jinx? Is that, You're I'm supposed to count to 10. Rules. You're supposed to count to 10. Right? Oh. And then I, you can say stop jinx. 
Wow, I've never heard of this. Is a totally different variation on the Jinx thing. I thought it was just first to say Jinx. On today's Design Details episode, we talk about the cultural differences of Jinxing across the Midwest, <laughs> West, East Coast, <laughs> and around the world. Yeah, we've invited specialized guests on to talk about their Jinxing experiences. <laughs> Experts will let you know exactly how they feel about the Jinx. Uh, <laughs> Okay. All right. All right. In the spirit of the jinx, let's mm-hmm. get started. Or should uh, I stop talking? You can oh, just yeah. <laughs> do the whole episode yourself. Yeah. Drive over here and bring me a Coke really quick. Mm-hmm. All right. Last week, I sounded like a... A man in a tin can. A man burning in a... pile of garbage in a tin can <laughs> 10,000 miles away from your headphones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, you sounded like a very warm boy in a very echoey kitchen yes. in, in New York State. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Because that's what it was. That's exactly uh-huh. what it was. And also, um, as we were starting to record this podcast, I was like, man, you just you still sound so muffled. Um, we, we use these microphones. I'm like, can you make sure that you have the right uh, input from this microphone? You're not using like your laptop microphones. And, and then um, what happened, Brian? And then I cried. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Due to dumb mistakes, uh, last week's audio sounded like crap. User error. Sorry about that. Hopefully, this is sounding a lot better right now, and we'll we'll have this polished up going forward. So, thanks to everyone who listened and, and put up with last week's yeah, audio we're, debacle. We're professionals. The great audio debacle of Design Details 2018. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into this show, though. Yes. So, first step, let's do a little bit of follow-up. Um, so, you've already apologized for your terrible, terrible mistakes. Yes. Next, we wanted to talk about, uh, we, we asked for your iTunes reviews last week. One of you was kind enough to do that, which is uh, very cool to see. Um, yeah. And I think the the uh, part of the review that we can take to heart is that the side project we did a couple episodes ago on, I believe it was every, uh, 259? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 259, um, Everything is a Spec. We uh, reviewed Nathan Gathright's side project and... Uh, we've heard from some uh, listeners that the, go figure, the uh, audio review of a visual medium is is a hard thing to to come to terms with, especially if you listen to this while you're driving in the car. Nobody or, could have seen this coming. Yeah, I know. Totally <laughs> unpredictable. But uh, so we're going to take that to heart. Hopefully we can uh, come up with a solution that still allows us to review your side projects, but still make it. Uh, viable for listeners who are in a situation where they can't actually look at the thing that we're reviewing. Also, pr- probably what we'll do is we'll take a screen cap of the of the thing that we're reviewing, put it in the show notes so that you can look at the whatever it was at the time that we saw it, the way that it looked. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, so thank you for everyone who left feedback. We we really appreciate the iTunes reviews. So if you have a second, those iTunes reviews are, are we pay attention to those. It's feedback that we listen to. Uh, it also helps iTunes recognize that other people are listening to the show so they can rank us up, help more designers discover the podcast. So if you have a second and have been enjoying the show, we'd really appreciate an iTunes review. Link in the show notes. All right. Last point of follow-up. Uh, speaking of side project reviews, mm-hmm. uh, Nathan of Podlink, which we reviewed a couple episodes ago, has made some updates. So we just wanted to shout out Podlink. That's pod.link is the URL. Uh, has continued to iterate on the design. Um, it's an easy way to share podcasts. So you can go to pod.link, search for, oh, I don't know, like design details. And uh, you can see all the updates that Nathan's been making. Basically, it makes it really easy to find all of the apps where you might want to listen to that podcast. Super cool. All right. So, so good so job, Nathan. Follow up complete. 
Uh, on to news. Still looking for some of those bumpers, Brian. Still, still, still need to have uh, some audio bumpers to indicate new new segments. But uh, yeah, we'll get there. We're open to ideas, listeners. <laughs> news. Breaking news. <laughs> Not so much uh, visual design news, but certainly product design news. Uh, Discord, the gaming communication app slash community communication app slash basically, uh, slack for gamers basically slack for gamers uh they introduced a store and i thought this was a pretty interesting development because they are very explicitly competing with steam so for the the gaming community we're finally seeing a little bit more competition in the space of uh selling and distributing i'm assuming it'll be a mix of indie games as well as as maybe larger titles uh marshall what do you think of of this step, are you a, a Discord user? Is this a logical place to buy and sell games for you? Probably one of the the most gamer people I know. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I I do use the Discords. I think they're a, a great company. Like they they seem to be very cool people. They don't take themselves too seriously. They have a really nice uh, branding that also doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, yeah, it's, like I said earlier, it's basically just Slack. Um, in dark mode, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a it's a great service. A ton of a uh, ton of YouTubers have their own like uh, private discords that you can get into and interact with creators. I think it's an awesome service. They already have the audience to like download and play games and stuff. And seeing what your friends are playing at the time uh, is a really cool feature. So you can you know, just jump into Discord and see, oh, so and so is playing Overwatch or whatever. Like, I'll I'll join them. But uh, yeah, this is uh, this is seems like a relatively straightforward and 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 obvious move for them to make. They already have the audience. Why not utilize it? I suppose what I'm I'm excited to see is like if you haven't used Discord, as Marshall said, it's basically Slack, but for for playing games. And so if I think of Slack building a product store into the Slack interface what that would look like. And so Discord's a little bit ahead of thinking, all right, how do we fit a store into this chat communications application? But now I'm trying to think a little bit further ahead, like how how deep will that integration go? So as you're chatting, as you're you know, doing voice chat or video chat, screen sharing, where do store sort of interfaces start to seep into the conversational experience, especially when it knows what game you're playing, if you bought it from there, if you've linked an account to that game and and how they'll start, uh, you know, I wonder like what kind of APIs they might eventually expose to the games themselves to actually integrate with your chat. I can envision like creating links that open the game in a certain state or something like that. Like, hey, I'm, I'm at this location on the map, like click this link in Discord and it launches the game and maybe it like can preboot you to, to be with friends or in some scenario or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was thinking also from from the search and discovery standpoint, like seeing what is popular among everybody is, is kind of easy. That's like, you know, and, and less useful than seeing potentially like what all of your friends, which games your friends like the most. This is pretty cool. I I don't know. I, I, I think it's well-designed and I like everything they're doing. Discord is a cool company. Yeah. It seems like steam steam sort of has the market, but their design is like, 
old and hard to use and their mobile experience is rough and yeah. it's time for for there to be some updates Dude, in the space the steam ios app is it's just a web viewer and it is not it's not uh very usable uh, and coming from somebody who uses it a lot all right uh another quick update so breaker a podcast application launched a product called upstream which is a way for listeners to pay to unlock podcast audio content uh we're not part of this uh early test but our, our friends of the show developer t also on the the spec network is is trying this out basically they've made it easier for podcasters to get money from people who listen to their podcast, which I feel like this is one of the last audio creation mediums to, or content creation mediums to like really start trying to figure out monetization beyond ads. Um, other mediums have had like the Patreons, the Kickstarters, like what we were talking about last week in like open source software, there's like the back your stack and like, there's all these different ways to pay people who are creating content in these different mediums, but podcasts are just, basically ads still yeah i mean in addition to um direct viewer or or um i guess fan funding like right. direct fan funding either through like uh, twitch subscriptions or cheer bits or on youtube there's like memberships and um you know fan funding through that kind of thing super chat so yeah this is yeah this is kind of the last bastion of of ad only revenue it's cool to see yeah uh, so if you have been thinking of making a podcast, uh, we'll have a link in the show notes, but it's breaker.audio and the product is called Upstream to help people make money from podcasts. Anyways, what's next? Uh, last up is something I missed last week. If you've never heard of it, it's called Refactoring UI, which basically started out as, uh, I'm going to botch these names, but Steve Choger and Adam Wathen. Sorry guys if I fucked those last names up. Uh, but almost Steve certainly, yeah. almost certainly mess those <laughs> yeah. up. Steve started tweeting these really small little images of here's how to make small tweaks to a user interface to make it easier to understand, better, more visually appealing. And basically this like ongoing tweet thread for, I don't know, a long time at this point sort of blew up. And now each, each additional tweet sort of, sort of makes its rounds through, through at least my Twitter and gets lots and lots of retweets and, and they're all really nice tips. Like they're small things like here's how to move around some information or change some colors slightly to, to improve the way that somebody might, you know, read this table or view this card component or something like that. Uh, so the news is that they're working on a book together. Uh, it'll come out this fall, but if you want to check it out in the meantime, that, that Twitter will have linked to in the show notes, or you can go to refactoringui.com. They're pretty, uh, infrequent. Maybe they'll increase the frequency, but they're just some nice little UI tips uh, for people who are, you know, maybe maybe ramping up or just are looking at something in, in your Figma file or your sketch file. And it's like, ah, it's not perfect. I know it could be better. Like, what are some ways that I can can make some small tweaks to, to improve this? Maybe refactoring UI will add some inspiration or help give some ideas for for how to be better. So looking forward to the book from Stephen Adam. Yeah. And, th and I remember, was this a Medium post or something? The original thing, refactoring UI. It, yeah, no, uh, I mean, maybe I have the story wrong. I thought it was just a tweet, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a tweet to a mini post. I don't know, but there was there was several examples. There was a, a ton of different examples of here's how to, and, and they have some of them on this on this site, the slash book site. But um, yeah, that there's there's a thing on the left where it's like don't do like here's a bad version of it, and here's a good version on the right. Um, and there are several examples of that, and all of them were like stuff. 
you know, most of us know, but if, if you're a developer and all you deal with is code and you don't think about this stuff very often, it's not as exactly obvious. But uh, yeah, I, I love this, the, the idea of um, helping, helping create better design for people who might otherwise have just ignored it, right? Yep. Yeah. Super, super useful. Is that it for news? That's the news, B-Boy. So previously we did a segment called Fight Me, and uh, I think maybe the it was a bit of a misnomer. The the name was probably not truly indicative of the content. So uh, we're going to try a new title for this thing called Point Counterpoint, which mm. is a little bit a little bit less uh, confrontational, maybe. So for this week's Point Counterpoint, uh, the subject is slow iteration versus fast hi-fi, and what we mean by that is. Um, how should we start projects? Should we uh, do a slow build from um, from sketches to hi-fi mocks, or is jumping into the mocks quickly a good thing? Uh, I know how I feel about this, but Brian, maybe you should start it up. <laughs> uh, as all things in design, I feel like it depends. I think... <laughs> Way to cop out. Yeah, this is the ultimate cop out. So <laughs> I'll, I'll try and take a stance here. I, I think from my point of view, jumping to hi-fi early is probably more dangerous than than it is useful the reason i think it's dangerous is just because it suddenly changes the context of 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 how you're thinking i understand that um you know certainly having done this before that while you're in sketch or figma your brain is sort of doing this ongoing processing of like what could work what couldn't work how can i like filter out options in my head as a as i'm actually trying to design sort of a final interface. Um, but I'd argue that that's a lot of mental cycles and, and leaps to go through versus just drawing on a piece of paper and getting sort of the the high-level blocks knocked out before you ever worry about nudging shit around eight pixels at a time or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Well, that's my life is nudging things around eight pixels at a time. I know. <laughs> can, I, can I counter your point? Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't I don't entirely disagree with you, but I have lost track of the number of times I've drawn something on a whiteboard that works perfectly fine with my non-gridded drawing on the whiteboard. It's like, it seems like everything should fit together and be cohesive, but as soon as you start applying that to a true grid and laying everything out the way that it's supposed to be laid out as as to your, your whiteboard drawing, it does not work. There's so many times that that's happened to me where it's like, yeah, yeah, this is great. This is great. You're in a meeting with PMs and Eng and you're like drawing something on the board. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a great that's a great direction. And then you go and actually make it and you realize like, oh, no, this isn't this isn't good. And now you have to start back over. Whereas like a lot of times I will start in mocks. I think part of it, too, is that I'm really fast in sketch. Like I can I can crank something out super quick. Not as quick as drawing on a whiteboard, but pretty close, even pixel perfect, you know? It's all just boxes and circles and text boxes, you know? It's nothing It's nothing really crazy fancy, at least for wireframes, right? Sure. And when I say hi-fi, I don't necessarily mean like filling in images and all that stuff, but like, I guess, I guess like pixel perfect wireframes is kind of where I'm headed at. But yeah, I think that, I think that having... Having that final goal in mind uh, is is good as you're working on it because then you can start to th- think about some higher level stuff. But what I've found is that you need to go through a lot of bad ideas to find good ideas. And the longer you do that or the, the, the more experience you have with cutting out bad ideas, 
the more quickly you recognize those bad ideas in your brain before you actually put them out through your fingers, whether whether that's on a sketch, uh, whether that's in sketch or on a whiteboard or uh, post-it note or whatever, you can do a lot of that curating before you ever have to do the work of it. It can all just happen in your brain. Like I, even before I do animation prototypes, like to, to do interactions or stuff like that, like I'm, I'm building that prototype in my head. I call it, I call it a brain prototype. A prototype. A bro- oh, don't <laughs> call it that. No, Sorry. Do nope. Don't call it that. Nope. <laughs> a fratotype. Um, <laughs> I mean, I guess it depends on your level of visualness of, of how your brain works, but my brain is very visual, very, very animation oriented. That's what I went to college for. So um, I'm pretty good at prototyping things in my head and I can, I can determine pretty quickly what is going to be a good thing and what is going to be a bad thing. A lot of times you do kind of want to do the bad things because uh, other people on your team will say, well, what about this? And you, and sometimes you just need to show them how bad it is to convince them that it is bad. So there's always that. But for the most part, I'm, I'm a fan of going from whiteboard sketch to uh, full-fledged mock pretty straight ahead. But there's, there's a ton of different ways you can get there. Um, I know people do like paper prototypes, Seems like a lot of work. That seems like a lot of work. I've never done paper prototypes. Yeah, I've seen and people it, do them, and you have to like cut shit out. <laughs> how much? How much of it? I wonder how much of it is uh, fetishism of the process, right? Where it's this like, it's this thing of like, oh, I'm I'm creating a log, or I'm creating a, a paper trail so that I can do a post mortem after the fact and prove to the rest of the org that like we actually do work and it's not just pushing pixels around on a screen. I wonder how much of it of that is like, you know, job security, like self-preservation and how much of it is actually like it being useful. Um, because for, for me, and you can speak to um, how you do this, but at a large company like YouTube, we, in order to get feedback on stuff, we need to make a relatively full-fledged mock and prototype to show to users and, and user research. And the the more vague, the more uh, unfinished those prototypes are, the worse the feedback you get is just because people are asking unnecessary questions about things that you have to do a lot of like, yeah, yeah, that's not done. Oh, that doesn't work. Oh, you know, you should ignore that part. Right. So you kind of want to get to a point where it's like this looks as standard and native as they expect it to do. And the only kind of uh, caveat you have to say is like, you can't tap on that because that doesn't work in this prototype. Right. But aside from that, like everything should look the way it should look, it would yeah. look in the final product. You know what okay. I mean? Okay, I'll try and counterpoint a little bit here because I think your your phrasing of fetishizing, 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 fetishization, fetishism of, of the process is pretty interesting because I feel like you could almost assign that blame to, uh, or assign that label to jumping straight into hi-fi. Like, I want to see it on the eight-point grid as early as possible when perhaps that's not actually the point of of what it is that you're trying to build or the problem you're trying to solve. Sure. So for example, like if you showed somebody a prototype where it's not on the grid, the alignment kind of sucks, I don't think 99.99% of people in the world are going to say, this doesn't feel native. Is that San Francisco 17? Like, you know, there's, yeah. I feel like in your eyes, jumping straight to the spec of the platform and like the, the, the pixel perfect, the grid is, is almost a fetishization itself of 
like proving that you know the rules when maybe the rules don't matter at that stage. You know, obviously as things are getting built, you want to work towards that stage, but we're talking right now at the, the like beginning stage. Yeah, I guess, I mean, uh, for me, this all kind of comes back to, to user feedback, right? The whole point of a mock is to get it in front of people to tell you whether that thing is good or bad, usable or not. And to, in, in order to get good, uh, in order to make sure that that is actually feasible in a shipping product, you need to make sure that it'll work on that grid. It'll work within your existing components and, and systems. So having having an amorphous blob of UI that is usable doesn't necessarily translate to a, a tight gridded UI that is usable. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I, I guess I agree. I think I think we might be talking slightly past each other about like what the expectation is at this stage. Like, if you're showing it to users, then yeah, it shouldn't be a blob of of text and boxes on a, on a screen. But, uh, you know, if we're talking about a, a designer sitting at, at their desk, trying to figure out, is this the right approach to the problem? I would probably argue that you can move, uh, uh, maybe the average person can move a lot faster at a lower fidelity. And that's why that sort of step of the process exists for a lot of people is eliminating twice as many bad ideas in the same amount of time as you could, if you were using uh, mouse and keyboard nudging stuff, you know? Yeah, maybe this is just me, like, being too confident in my own skills or something, or or taking, or taking for granted the idea that, like, I've been doing this for a long time. Well, well, I also wonder, like, where, where the fact that you operate inside of sort of an established product fits in. Not that yeah. you're not designing new things, but the fact that there are youtube paradigms or there are google paradigms or material paradigms like yeah absolutely the systems that you work within have been sort of going through years of definition and iteration that perhaps a a startup someone working at a startup just doesn't have that like yeah. backlog of of context to more efficiently do high five development prototyping. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know what the final product is going to look like, yeah, I do have the advantage of of knowing the the environment that what I'm designing is going to slot into. So, yeah, that that that's a really good point. Yeah, now I was curious how you do it from a from a start, like what is your opinion from a startup standpoint? It it sort of depends, but loosely it's like if we're we're a pretty iterative team, so we'll try and get like a rough version online in front of people as fast as possible and then and then we make changes quickly to that. I'd say over time, a, a loose style has evolved where we don't have to spend a lot of time in pixel tools. However, as we embark on new projects, like for example, we're working right now on redoing the community profile design. And that's a lot of information architecture. That's a lot of layout problems. That's a lot of contextual problems, like solving that profile view for logged out users, logged in users, members, non-members, uh, admins and moderators, like thinking through that sort of matrix of, of use cases, just faster to do sketching and taking notes. And if you try and get into the pixels, it's, it's suicide. Cause you're just not going to be able to move mocks fast enough to, to cover those at like that sort of grid of, of use cases, but everything else is iterative. So we actually just kind of skip the pixel tools completely and just get it loosely feeling at home within the code of what we've already built and 
ship it. And if it is off by pixel two, then do another pull request and adjust, you know? <laughs> if only it were that easy. <laughs> <laughs> if only at YouTube, you could just quickly ship a pixel mm -hmm. adjust. Yeah, everybody, every every billion people just update your shit. It's cool. <laughs> Download 200 megs of, of apt updates <laughs> yeah. for this one realigned grid item that Marshall fucked up. Well, <laughs> Was it me or was it the implementation? No. Um, <laughs> oh, so, blaming uh, the engineers. Huh? <laughs> Never. And I, I think you raised a really good point too of like the the type of thing that you're trying to design. If it's like heavily data viz, like that, that's totally different from um, a, a an interaction or a a flow um, of like you know setting up an account or something like that, where it's kind of a known quantity as opposed to. Um, kind of blue sky, like, hey, this is a whole brand new feature that is unprecedented. No one has ever done this before. Uh, we have no idea. There's no, there's no ground to stand on as far as like, well, this has worked. Like, for example, if I was to create a, a, a camera, like if I was to design a camera, there's a lot of giant shoulders I could stand on to, to do that. Whereas if you're doing something completely new, yeah, I think that, that probably warrants a lot more uh, churn in the, in the early stages. Yeah. There's probably some like embedded counterpoint there that it's really, really rare to be working on something new. <laughs> so, yeah. well, a, I mean, a lot of times there are shoulders to stand upon. If you have a great mind like mine that, that works. <laughs> <laughs> if we were all like you, Marshall. <laughs> no, I do, I'm, this is the thing. I'm terrible. At, like, I'm terrible at coming up with new ideas. I'm great at iterating on existing ideas. Um, I'm, I, can, I can mold existing clay, but I can't create clay, if that makes sense. Uh, it does. Yeah. I feel that way about um, my sense of humor is I'm good at, I'm good at uh, banter, but mm -hmm. not at coming up with jokes. Does so that you're sense? not, your standup career is on hold for the moment? <laughs> yeah, I've stopped. I've stopped that. Yeah. So I, I get what you mean. I'm, I'm a good remixer, but not a good mixer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're, you're a good remixer, not a good composer. Thank you. Yeah. No, totally. I, I'm in the same boat. I, 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 that's a skill I wish I could improve, but I don't even know how you, I don't even know how you do that. That's why all my shit looks the same. That's why all my side projects look the same. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, this is, this is what I'm good at. Yeah. This is what I've landed on, which is, which, which means I, I have a lot to learn and a, a lot of room to grow. Yeah. And that, yeah, it's, I, I've, I've come to accept the idea that I am, I have lame ideas and or my my ideas t tend to gravitate towards established patterns or or something that's already existed. Like I, I don't know what I'm saying here, but yeah, I, I I'm not as good at at coming up with new stuff as I would like, which which makes that prototyping and that that iteration process much slower. But I guess necessarily, definitely. So who won, Brian? I don't know. I just felt like this was a, a good spirited discussion of yeah. talking through some of the pros and cons. Yeah, it was good to hear, hear your uh, your points you made. I think you killed it, Brian. Thanks, man. And likewise, and listeners, uh, we'd love to hear what you think. Let us know on on Twitter at yeah. Details FM. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll put out a poll. What do you do? Do you go fast or do you go slow? Got to go fast. Got to go fast. Got to go fast. fast life. <laughs> All right. Should we uh, get into the th cool things we found this week? Yeah, let's uh, wrap this mofo up. Kick us off. Okay, um, I'll start. So this is a thing my buddy Michael Boswell, shout out Boz, um, he 
let me know about this thing. So I am tall and skinny, and I have always been tall and skinny. It's a genetic thing. I have a really fast metabolism. I have trouble gaining weight and uh, trouble putting on muscle. So that means I just don't fucking bother most of the time. I've tried to like work out in the gym, and uh, I, I I get stronger and I get more cut, but I don't get bigger. Um, and also I don't like going to the gym. I don't like working out in, in public. I don't want to be around a bunch of other people yelling and sweating. <laughs> grunting. And, yeah, grunting. And, and also like, I, you know, it's like, there's the, uh, I, I don't want to be lifting like 20 pounds when the dude next to me is like beefcake, you know, bench pressing 5,000 pounds or whatever. Like, that's 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 Damn. demoralizing. I want to go to the gym that you go to and see the guy bench pressing five thousand <laughs> well, pounds. I don't go to a gym, so that's <laughs> the thing. It's all in my head. But uh, anyway, so my cool thing is this thing called Tonal T O N A L dot com. It is a essentially a wall mounted home exercise gym that you can that has like it has built in uh, coaching and uh, it's all very very compact and you can do it in the privacy of your own home. Like basically get. It's basically every workout machine that you would find in a typical gym, but it all fits into one, basically a vertical TV size thing that mounts on your wall. It just launched, this is, we're recording on Saturday, it just launched yesterday or Thursday, I think maybe. Uh, brand new, it's an SF company, and it looks really, really cool. I'm looking at Brian's face right now, and he is, he is uh, I, I can't read what your expression is. I. This looks like something that might come out of a black mirror episode <laughs> like something's gonna go horribly wrong <laughs> okay <laughs> uh anyways it looks like a really well-designed thing but yeah yeah it looks really well designed yeah <laughs> it, the both the both the visual like screen uh digital design stuff and the physical industrial design of the actual product the the, the unit itself we ordered one. It's kind of expensive, but I did some math on like gym membership costs over a year versus how much this would cost in, in aggregate. And this is actually a pretty, pretty good deal, even though it's a big chunk of money at once. But I'll let you know what I think of it. Not that it's super on topic for this, for this uh, show, but I think it's a really well-designed product and they've been working on it for a long time and they finally launched it. So kudos for actually shipping the thing, you know? It actually looks pretty amazing. I'm not yeah. going to lie. So Website's really nice and yeah. It's good. Check it out. Tonal.com. I'm I, I picked one up. We'll we'll see how it goes. I think it should ship yeah, it should ship next month. So I'll give it a little bit of a, a test and, and then report back in a follow up in a future episode. Sounds good. So what's your cool thing? Uh so a few weeks ago I read this book called The Attention Merchants, subtitle The Epic Scramble to Get Inside Our Heads by Tim Wu. And, and I just wanted to shout out this book. Basically, it's sort of a history of advertising book. Uh, it starts out in the 1800s with literal snake oil salesmen and sort of works its way to modern times with how advertisers basically try to capitalize upon the attention of everyday people. Uh, the reason I, this is I, what we were talking about earlier with like the Patreon, you know, versus Patreon and right. allowing people to. Yeah, yeah. totally. So I read this book a while ago, and, and there's not many books that I find myself sort of rethinking about in day-to-day -day life, but this happens to be one of them, so I'm, I'm recommending it. But basically, it, it frames it as, I used to think of ads as just like, how are they trying to sell me shit, right? Like, how are all these companies trying to sell me shit? How do you mean, like, uh, how have they decided that they should sell me shit, or what is the method in which they try to sell me shit? 
both the, okay. the method, the location, the text, the imagery, like how are they trying to sell me shit? Gotcha. Uh, but things have sort of shifted lately where it's, it's now much more subtle and it's more about how are companies just trying to get you to pay attention to them? Because attention, it, this book argues, is, is sort of the currency here. It's not even about, you know, at the end of the day, they want you to buy product, but it's more about can they just capture a slightly larger percentage of, of your mind share than, than you would have otherwise spent thinking about this, this company or brand. And so the, the way this sort of book has manifested in, in my day-to-day -day life is now I sort of go about walking around the streets and browsing the internet and seeing advertisements less as how is this company trying to sell me something and more of how are they trying to get me to think about them more, like not even buy stuff, but how, how are they trying to get me to pay attention to them? Mindshare. Yeah. And, and it's been, I don't know, maybe this is, is just super obvious to a lot of people, but seeing the ways that people are trying to abuse my attention just makes me realize more and more how hard it is to not be distracted in today's world. Like you walk down the streets and every ad is more colorful, larger text, more provocative imagery. Are they using a photo of a person making a, a crazy facial gesture? Like, why is that? Like what, what sort of primitive things are they trying to tap into to get me to glance at that, that thing two seconds longer? And yeah. So anyways, uh, it, it's a good book. And if you're interested in, in, advertising and and why the advertising models of the world work the way they work how radio and television and internet have all sort of shaped the the universe basically uh it's a pretty good book so the attention merchants cool link in the show notes and let's wrap this bad boy up all right thank you so much to sarah and drew our producers who made this episode sound great cut it together and made us sound smarter than we are yeah also you might notice that uh, we now have chapters in our podcast so you can oh, yeah. skip back and forth that is thanks to drew uh it was his suggestion and his implementation also i'm trying to make the show notes a lot more full-fledged and, and like basically if we reference something in the podcast I, I link to it in the show notes so if you're like what was that thing they were talking about just scroll down into the episode notes and you'll see what we're talking about yeah and if your podcast app supports chapters uh now you can skip out of the segments that you don't like mm -hmm. but don't do that because we're so good to listen to though right <laughs> 1x 1x speed everyone <laughs> slow down requirement can we lock that down <laughs> <laughs> yeah lock speed <laughs> Huge thank you to Envision Studio also for making this episode possible. Envision Studio is the world's best screen design tool. Uh, you should check it out for free forever today. They're in early access at envisionapp.com slash studio. They're going to change the way that you design, prototype, animate, and collaborate with your entire team to build better products. Go to envisionapp.com slash studio and try it for free. Thanks, Envision Studio. Appreciate you sponsoring us here. Of course, before we go, if you need more podcasts for your ears, go to spec.fm. We are a podcast network for designers and developers just like you. We've got a bunch of shows on the network that you can check out and download today. That's at spec.fm. And if you've been enjoying Design Details, uh, leave us a review. We really appreciate the, the feedback coming in on Twitter. We're at Design Details FM. The reviews on iTunes have uh, always been helpful, and every review helps us move up the charts and helps other people like you discover the show. So thanks to everyone who's leaving us reviews. Yeah, appreciate that. And of course, you can check us out on our community at spectrum.chat slash specfm. Bye. Bye.